the long-awaited episode 7.0 of the Pitchers Hit 8th podcast. Uh, Josh and I, believe it or not, um, are, are still interested in doing this, and, and we try like the Dickens to find time to end the podcast, and, and unfortunately, unfortunately, we don't get paid enough to record this podcast, so we do it when we can, and hopefully we've still got some of you listening along. That being said, Josh, how we doing? Is there anything better than October baseball, my friend? I'm, I've been watching it all night. All night. Hey, well, you know, after that epic last night of the regular season on Wednesday, um, I, I, I'm still kind of trying to fire myself back up to, to watch these playoff games, but uh, Cardinal win uh, in game two sure didn't hurt anything. That made life a lot easier, uh, especially around my house. I'll just put it that way. Fair enough. Well, Josh, uh, episode 7.0, we've got Eric Seidman from the Phillies blog, brotherlyglove.com, and Eric also does some work over at fangraphs.com. Um, we chatted with Eric for a little bit about uh, number one, had him tell us a little bit about his site and and, and about the Phillies. And then uh, we recapped a little bit of, of what Philadelphia reactions to games one and two were and and uh, a little bit about expectations for game three and, and the remainder of the series going forward. And then uh, as we've done in the past, and, and we enjoy, Josh, I, I know you and I enjoy this a lot, and hopefully the listeners do too, um, we turn the tables and let Eric kind of ask questions of us, and he kind of ran with it a little bit. We talked about the Cardinal bullpen um, and about letting Kyle Loesch stay in game one to face Ryan Howard, which uh, I think uh, we kind of agreed with him was questionable. Is that right? It was nice to, to get a different point of view on that. Uh, obviously, watching Tony's teams for as long as we have, you almost come to expect that he's going to rely on your starters for sometimes longer than necessary. And, and Eric even went in that it might have happened to Cliff Lee in game two. So it, it's not just the Cardinals it happens to, but it was definitely a very fun interview. Absolutely. And, of course, as has become – Standard procedure on the Pitchers Head Eighth podcast. Uh, our discussions with Eric launched right into uh, Josh and I a continuing discussion about the Cardinal bullpen and and whether there should be defined roles in the bullpen or or letting guys go and throw in situations and then uh, talk about looking forward and and whether Game Three is a must-win game and and what that means for Jaime Garcia and and also uh, the return of Dave Duncan and, and how that affects the team and the pitching staff. And we closed it up, believe it or not, with a little plug for Ryan Terrio and good things to say about Ryan Terrio. So you'll have to stay tuned through the entirety of the show. We kept it pretty pretty short for you tonight. Um, it should be a cozy little hour show or so. Uh, we hope you will uh, stay tuned. We'll take a little break here, enjoy some new music from our musical guest, Stoff Must Star Off Machine. We've got some new tunes from those guys. Uh, they're in the studio now recording. They keep sending us new stuff to play for you guys. So enjoy that. We'll be back with Eric Seidman from Brotherly Glove. We are joined currently by Eric Seidman from Brotherly Glove, a great Phillies blog. Uh, obviously, we're going to talk a little bit about the National League Divisional Series between the Cards and the Phillies. Eric, we really appreciate you joining us tonight. Glad to be here. 
just to be clear, and, and maybe you can tell us a little bit about the site and maybe plug anything else you've got going on. I, I know a lot of people now are involved in a lot of different sites, so I know brotherlyglove, all one word, dot com is, is your site. What can you tell us about it? Uh, well, Brotherly Glove was started by my brother Corey Seidman and I back in March. We had both written for a number of other publications over the years. I had written for Baseball Prospectus and, and currently at Fangraphs as well. And Corey covers the Phillies for Comcast Sportsnet's main website, Phillies Talk. And we had finally gotten to the decision that instead of just talking about Phillies with each other and writing about every other team elsewhere, why don't we focus our efforts and try to come up with a pretty interesting Philly site. And I like to think that we've done that. I think we've cultivated an atmosphere where there's no right or wrong, where you can share your opinion, even if it's different than everyone else's, and not have to uh, battle trolls or people constantly arguing with you. And uh, it's, it's been a lot of fun, and it's been an interesting experience covering a team every single day for an entire season, which is something neither of us had ever really done before. Excellent. Uh, well, with that, uh, with that being said, again, Phillies on your end, Cardinals on our end. Let's let's recap a little bit the first two games of the series. I know from our perspective, uh, as Cardinal fans, it, game one was a shock. We go up early in the first inning, and uh, only to have it all fall apart in the end. I can only imagine a, a similar reaction in Philadelphia. Yeah, I think uh, we're at the point where the team was up 3 nothing in the first inning, and we can rest assured they're not going to win that game. <laughs> yeah. And the first game, it was interesting because I wouldn't liken it to panic, the reaction after Berkman homered, but it was more of a, seriously, that's, that's not supposed to happen. That's what we're supposed to do, reaction that really deflated the entire crowd. I know I was watching at home, and it was, you know, I almost didn't want to watch the rest of the game at that point. Not that I wasn't convinced the Phillies could have come back, and maybe even that they would, but, you know, to, to watch the game and four batters down 3 nothing with the best pitcher in baseball on the mound, it's not that great of a feeling. And then to have the opposite of that the very next night, at least it gives you some perspective from what, uh, I guess, what you guys must have felt after at that home. Absolutely. You know, it was. I, I'm right with you. You watch on the TV, and the stadium just went deathly quiet, deathly quiet. And I think uh, had there been a camera in the living rooms of most Cardinal fans uh, after the first inning last night, um, that uh, <laughs> the reaction has been very similar. And, and just, just an odd flip of the script, if you will, uh, from game one to game two, and and. You know, all the focus on Carpenter and, and his struggles uh, being the, the Cardinal ace and, and the three aces. And I know that, uh, I know well, four, I guess, really, if, if get Oswald into the equation. I know Josh uh, wanted to talk to you about uh, two lefties in Philly's rotation as we lead into game three. Yeah, Eric, thanks for joining us. Uh, a lot of comments over the the winter when, you know, the Phillies were the last team standing in the Cliff Lee sweepstakes. Uh, and that makes Cole Hamels probably the, the, the greatest number three starter, especially with his with his pedigree and his success <laughs> in the postseason. Uh, I I know that there are completely different types of lefties and on on our end, on the Cardinals end, Larissa's talking about having to change up possibly his his starting lineup a little bit. What is the main difference for Cardinals fans that haven't seen Cole Hamels here a lot lately? What's the main difference between Cliff Lee and Cole Hamels? Well, this might sound a little strange, and I'm glad that people actually started talking about this a little bit. I think people were a little scared to mention it, but every time I watch Cliff Lee pitch, and we're talking about a guy, I'm in my office right now, and I turn my left and I've got a poster of him up on the wall, one of my favorite players of all time. I don't understand how people don't hit him like they did last night. I'm amazed that a guy that pounds the zone with such seemingly mediocre stuff has been able to succeed the way he has. And 
it, whether it's late movement, whether it's just extreme pitch location and command of every single pitch he throws, being able to throw in and out, up and down whenever he wants to in any count. I, I'm perplexed as to why what happened last night doesn't happen more often. Hamels, on the other hand, has filthy stuff. It's just a matter of can he locate. You know, he has arguably best, second best, third best changeup in baseball, and he throws 92 miles an hour when he's healthy. He has always had a curveball that he used as a show-me pitch, and it really, you know, it was basically a league pitch. I'm pretty sure I could throw the same curveball. And he developed a cutter last year. And about midway through the year, he started to fine-tune it. And that carried over into this year. And now he's had two tremendous seasons in a row. So the main difference is that while Lee attacks the zone, and that's where he gets most of his success from, from keeping hitters off balance and mixing his repertoire, Hamels is more of a guy that's going to get a ton of swing and misses with electric stuff primarily that change up. So Cardinals fans can expect to see a couple 92, 93-mile-an-hour fastballs and then a changeup that falls right off the table and then occasionally a cutter that will go in on the right-handed batters, which is pretty tough to pick up. It's not a Mariano Rivera cutter by any means, but it's been pretty darn effective since he started working with it. So basically, uh, if, if things go how we both hope, uh, it could be an extremely low-scoring game for, for Game 3, which would be, uh, I think, what many fans were expecting, not the, the amount of runs scored on, on both sides for, I, I guess, what the only thing I can explain it is completely in shock after the first couple of games is, are there a lot of Phillies fans that are surprised that it's not 2-0 Philadelphia? I think so. I think the expectations were so lofty coming into the year that it's almost ridiculous to say it out loud that when you're 1-1 in a playoff series that there's widespread panic across a humongous city. But you kind of get that sense now. You know, I, I had friends over tonight and we were talking about the series. We were talking about what we would do for Game 5 and there was a you know, pause. We were both made eye contact thinking, is it really going to be a Game 5? And but while it sounds pretty funny to say it out loud when you've got a team that has this type of rotation, and while the Phillies' offense and the Cardinals' offense, it was the second-highest scoring offense in the league after Chase Utley returned from the DL, which I don't consider to be an arbitrary endpoint by any means, the Phillies can't hit. So this is a team very capable of winning two games on the road in St. Louis or getting a split to come back home to have Roy Halladay pitch in Philadelphia. But, yeah, there is kind of a shock that really we're, we're split 1-1 after we had a dramatic comeback and led 4 nothing after two innings yesterday. Your comments about uh, the Philly offense uh, being such improved after the return of Chase Utley and, and what can we expect from the remainder of this series? I guess uh, the the question then to be asked is, what do you see being the determining factor and who wins this series? Obviously the Cardinals uh, have issues with Matt Holliday's health, um, which is a blow to, like you said, uh, the, the the strength of their offense. Um, Philly's strength, obviously, while you're right, they can score runs. I don't think anyone would disagree that their strength is obviously their pitching. Um, right. So, when you break down games three, four, five, um, what's going to be the determining factor and who wins this series? Well, I think skipping games three to moving four first, I think a big key there is going to be which version of Edwin Jackson and Roy Oswald show up. I know Jackson had a pretty good second half of the season with the Cardinals, not a you know tremendous second half, but an Edwin Jackson-esque second half of the season. And Oswald... You know, even though it was the worst season of his career, basically, he's still an above-average pitcher, and he's still capable of throwing six or seven shutout innings against offense. So I think determining which of those, which versions of them show up in Game Four is going to be crucial. In Game Three, Jaime Garcia scares Phillies fans more than any other pitcher on the Cardinals, including Adam Wainwright. 
And even though it's only been four games that Garcia has pitched against the Phillies the last two years, which you know, obviously is a minute sample size, it's pretty tough to reconcile in your head. I know that it's only four games, but my God, has he shut the Phillies down in all four of those games. So he's able to handle the Phillies' offense, and uh, the Phillies get a lot of their offense from lefties like Chase Utley and Ryan Howard. I think an X factor in game three is going to be John Mayberry Jr. He's basically the Phillies' version of Alan Craig, an older outfit prospects who just broke onto the scene at 26, 27 years old, tremendous power, and Mayberry really lit lefties up this year. He'll play tomorrow instead of Raul Abanez, and being able to use him to neutralize the lefty, especially mixing the switch hitter Victorino in there, that'll be a key for the Phillies. On the Cardinal side, even though Pujols crushed that ball yesterday to, to single in the go-ahead run, I, I gotta think you gotta get him going. As weird as that sounds, especially after they had such a big come from behind win yesterday. But Pujols tattooed a Cole Hamels pitch the last time the Phillies and Cardinals met in the regular season, and I would have to think he can see the ball pretty well out of Hamels' hands, given his strengths and Hamels' events. So getting him going will be key for the Cardinals, from my point of view, in Game Three. Excellent. I would agree with that, and. Uh... And with that, um, and, and I apologize, maybe it, I probably should have uh, prepared you for this uh, in, in our few minutes of prep time before we started recording, but um, one last thing before we let you go, uh, we like to, uh, I don't know if turn the tables is the right word, but just give our guests an opportunity um, so that uh, we're not the ones on all the time on the asking side of the fence. Anything you want to ask a Josh and I before we let you go about uh, the Cardinals or anything? Well, one thing the Phillies fans and myself included have been a little confused about is the status of Holiday. You know, I, I know that he's having problems with his hand, but at least from my perspective, if he's physically able to pinch hit, it's, Seems a little strange to me why he's not able to play in a full game, especially when you would think that batting and being able to grip a bat would be a little tougher for him than holding a glove and fielding. So is he actually going to play in this series, or is he really just going to be a you know a potential show me pinch hitter? Uh, Josh, I'll take this one um, just because. Hey, well, I've got a a fairly strong opinion that I don't think that we'll see Holiday in the remainder of this series, and, and I, I'm skeptical that we'll see him in the remainder of the playoffs. Um, as can often be the case with tendons and ligaments, um, I think that they were really optimistic that they might be able to exercise it back into shape. Um, and the reality is everything that I've seen on Twitter today, and, and uh, Joe Strauss from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch just put up another note about 40 minutes ago. Uh, Holiday had another MRI today. Um, results may be announced tomorrow, which sounds like a little bit of uh, of an end around from the Cardinals medical staff. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're saying no go for game three start and availability doubtful. Um, th- from what I understand, when he made that pinch hitting appearance last week, um, he re-aggravated it. Um, and it's gotten to the point where uh, it's it's in his it's in his throwing hand, so it's not that he can't wear a glove, but he he doesn't f- feel like he can make a reliable throw. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously, if he can't throw, he's not he feels like he he can't play the field. The team feels like he can't play the field. Um, so I think it's I think it's more of that that came after the pinch hitting appearance, from what I understand from what I know to be the timeline. So I think he re-aggravated it. Um, and this is only my opinion. I, I certainly don't have any ins- insider information. I'd be really, really surprised if we see him. Yeah. Josh, maybe you've got the insider information. I don't know. Uh, the only insider information that I have is Holiday's a very tough guy, and, and if you believe even half of what they're saying about how much pain he's in, it, he probably shouldn't have been on the roster to begin with, but that's a, another fight for another day. Sure. 
well, yeah, with the other one was what, what about the uh, the Cardinals bullpen? You know, it seemed as though coming into the series that that was sort of an, an even keeled matchup where neither bullpen was particularly strong. And while last night was only a one game sample, uh, they looked pretty darn impressive last night, being able to go from Jepchinski to Dotel to Mott and Boggs, and even. Westbrook being the long man, if the game were to go to extra innings, it would certainly be better than Kyle Kendrick for the Phillies. But after they traded Rasmus, I know that was a particularly polarizing trade, but it sure seems like the Cardinals may have gotten the better end of that right now, especially given how much John Jay has stepped up. But has the bullpen really is bullpen underrated? I mean, should we as Phillies fans be a little? scared when these guys come into the game relative to the perception coming in well eric uh, that's a that's a hard question to answer because i think most cardinals fans uh are just as scared as phillies fans when the bullpen comes in because underrated is is one way to look at it the other way to look at it the big part of the rasmus deal you're talking about was to be able to get Kyle McClellan back in the bullpen to help stabilize it and he's not even on the nlds roster so I don't think most people knew exactly what they were getting. The, the shock of the Rasmus deal and, and however you want to look at the return was, it was put out there by the club that it was for this year mainly, and Dotel especially, even more so than I think uh, Zepchensky, was kind of a surprise just because you weren't exactly sure what he had left. Uh, Cardinals fans, and I'm sure Phillies fans as well, from his days closing and and the amount of time he spent in the National League, he was kind of the unknown, and I think he hasn't really made uh, Kyle, you know, he didn't make McClellan expendable by any stretch of the imagination, but another power arm you can throw back there, and the reemergence of Mitchell Boggs, it's, it's, it, it's funny that it's worked out the way that it has. I won't call it the Achilles heel of the Cardinals being the bullpen. To me, and you know, Nick and I especially have talked a lot about this, the way LaRusso uses his bullpen always makes Cardinals fans scratch their heads. So I can't imagine being a Phillies fan seeing him run that many pitchers out when, especially on Twitter, we knew he was going to do it. That was the scary thing. Is you know, So for, for other teams to see that and to see what we've been dealing with year in and year out for a decade, it it's going to be an interesting couple of games depending on how the starting pitching goes for the Cardinals. I want to expand on that just for a quick second, and, and I will say that I think, number one, um, it's a completely different bullpen, obviously, than it was early in the season. I think there's still a lot of carryover from early season failure uh, that folks just kind of lump the current group into and say, oh, the Cardinals' bullpen, it's bad. And when they blow a save extraordinarily like they did, what, a week and a half ago Friday um, in the midst of a playoff race, it's, oh, there goes that Cardinals' bullpen again. And I don't think that's necessarily fair because every bullpen blows a game for, from time to time. Uh, what Josh says about Tony LaRusso is very, very accurate, though, in that we know that he likes to use a lot of pitchers, and we know that he loves to play whatever matchups, whatever advantages he sees in his brain, um, which means a lot of pitcher use. But when it works, it works, and it has been working in the case of Dotel facing a, a extremely high number more right-handed hitters since he's come over in trade than left-handed hitters, and he's very successful in that role. Zepchinski in the same way, has an extreme split of success versus left-handed hitters and failure versus right-handed hitters. So when Tony can man- can play his games with that bullpen and and use six, seven, eight pitchers in a night for even if it's only one batter apiece, sometimes it works splendidly like it did last night. Other times it blows up in his face because someone p- – Someone gets pinch hit for, and now you've got Zepchinski. Either you've wasted him, or he stays in to face a right-hander that's going to blow him up. So, um, to directly answer your question, I 
I, I guess it's it's still a huge question mark from night to night. Overall, if managed correctly, I think the Cardinals bullpen is much improved from early in the season, but we're all subject to Tony's whims. Well, along those lines then, especially after watching what happened last night and knowing his reputation of doing that frequently, you know, I'm sure that wasn't the first time that happened all season or some variation of that. What was your take on Loesch not being removed for Howard in game one? I, mean, I know Loesch had gone through five solid innings, but it sure seemed from our point of view that it was kind of a no-brainer to not let Loesch face Howard that the one time that LaRusa really should have made a pitching change, he rested on his laurels and trusted Loesch to get through it. And granted, Loesch did look good through five innings, but yeah, in a playoffs, especially when you have a rested bullpen in a first game, it, it sure seemed to Phillies fans at least that, you know, the Howard home run was pretty predictable. Yeah, you know, that's the great question that we all have yet to answer too, is that as much as he likes to tinker once he gets into the bullpen, he has extreme, extreme confidence and loyalty to his starters, oftentimes to a fault. Um, and, uh, you know, in the case of like last night, let Carpenter battle through maybe longer than most managers would, uh, but then he winds up getting a, a few outs to the point that had the Cardinals not been in a position to score some runs last night when Carpenter's spot came up in the lineup, I have no doubt that he would have stayed in the game. Um, so it's... <laughs> It's a really odd dichotomy that he's going to go with the starter until the starter is just completely out of of out of gas or or has gotten to a point where he just doesn't have anything left to throw up there and, and still getting hit around the park. But then once he gets into the bullpen, it's boom, 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 boom. Um, so. It, I, I don't know. That's a question I'm not even sure Tony could answer himself. But uh, the other benefit to the Cardinal bullpen that I wanted to bring up and, and forgot to mention earlier is that now uh, with naming Jackson to game four, um, Carpenter is obviously the guy in game five. That's why they started him in game two to be able to bring him back if necessary. That moves Loesch to the pen as well. So now you've got Loesch and Westbrook uh, at, at the disposal in that bullpen too. And, and, a lot of people have been down on Loesch this year, and, and I don't think necessarily rightly so. I, I'd be fairly confident in him in a in a sixth, seventh inning middle relief role if he's only got to get six outs. No, I mean, I agree. I We had Loesch here in 2007. He was a midseason trade, and the year before he you know, had to sell for that one-year deal with the Cardinals before the, the big deal, and... He didn't have spectacular numbers with the Phillies, but I was very impressed with him. He gave up a grand slam to Kazmat Tsui in game two of the NLTS when the Phillies were swept. But aside from that mistake, you know, he had pretty great movement on his pitches, and he seemed like he was tough to pick up, and he definitely had a great season this year. I don't, I wouldn't put him down or anything. I just, it's a weird situation. You know, it's, it's, I guess it's tough for a manager to lift a starter in that type of spot, but you kind of figure with Ryan Howard up, even though he's not the 58 home run <laughs> Ryan Howard anymore. The one thing he does very well is crush off-speed hanging pitches and you know belt-high fastballs from right-handed pitchers. Yep. And even though it's clearly not a season-changing event, given what happened the next night, that's just a head-scratcher. I still think that's going to be one of those things we're going to look back on after this series, regardless of who wins and think, well, things could have gone a whole lot differently if, if the motion's lifted in that spot. Well, and the other thing to keep in mind about LaRusse is he's always, right or wrong, he's always thinking about what happened three days prior and what's going to happen in the next week. And so I can only guess, and, and again, I purely my own conjecture, but he's thinking about Carp coming back on three days rest in game two, the potential for a lot of heavy usage of the bullpen in that game, and maybe not one to use them all up in game one, but gosh, Tony, come on, you've been at this a long time. Win this game. Win this game. Well, right, and that, that's the thing. is I 
not arguments, but I have a lot of conversations with people, and people seem to be of the mindset that managers really should focus a lot of their efforts on managing for the series. You know, I had a Fangraphs article go up when the starting rotation for the series was still, it wasn't announced, but it sure seemed likely that Garcia was going to start game four at that point, you know, when game one would have been normal rest for him. Mm-hmm. And I was basically arguing that it's ill-advised for managers to manage for a future that might not exist, given that their decision is going to lower the odds of that future coming to be. By not pitching Garcia earlier on in the series, it's potentially reducing the odds he would even need to use Garcia or someone else later on in the series. And it seems like he's taken more of a holistic approach to the series when really you got to you really have to look at one event at a time one inning at a time and one one game at a time. The Cardinals may win this series in spite of that view, but yeah, and Charlie Manuel's not, you know, he he's at fault for this too, especially with <laughs> last night with Cliff Lee. So I, you know, I had an article today about how I ironically Loesch and Lee were both removed three batters too late. I don't get why you go to Zepchinski after Howard and Ibanez have already home run and the bottom of the order is all righties or why Lee was allowed to stay in the game, even though the Cardinals were getting to him. You know, they weren't just duck-snorting him to death. They were making solid contact. But it sure seems like we're learning from the series that trusting your starters to a fault can really be uh, <clears throat> detrimental to your odds of winning the uh, game. Well, with that, um, Eric, we appreciate your time. I, I know that we've run over here a little bit what uh what we told you that we would we would have you for but uh we definitely appreciate your time um brotherlyglove.com is the site also fangraphs uh it's bound to be regardless of what happens an exciting uh last two or three games and uh good luck to the phillies uh i know the cardinals will need it so uh once again eric seidman brotherly glove we appreciate your time sir Yep, thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Eric. Have a good night. Good man, I uh, he brought up a lot of good uh, good points, and it's I always like seeing the perspective from another side. Yeah, you know, do, do other people think Tony's crazy? Do you know? Uh, <laughs> the question I brought up, and this will uh, a good thing to jump into because I want to get your take on on Twitter. Um, Sunday, especially more than Saturday, because I had to turn it off after a certain point um the big discussion of course when tony was trotting out 16 pitchers or whatever it was for the half of an inning the discussion that i brought up would things be different if the cardinals had a true setup man would that change anything the way that tony manages or just uh, if, if he knew who was coming in would that you know, make life less stressful, or you know, is it one of those deals where even if he had somebody that was a setup man, would he call him that? You know, would he still bring in a lefty to face it? You've been watching Tony's teams for quite a long time now. Do you, does it matter what role he assigns anybody anymore? I really don't think it does, and frankly, I, I'm not sure that I'd want roles to be assigned. I mean, you know that I've grown to be a proponent of. Why do you need a closer? Pitch your best reliever in the highest leverage role. You know, if your best reliever is Mott and you need uh, somebody to come in and get two outs with the bases loaded in the bottom of the seventh, bring in Mott. And then whoever your second best pitcher is, if he hasn't had to pitch in the next highest leverage situation, 
by the ninth inning, then you bring him in to, to get those outs then. And I wanted to believe that Tony was going to do that uh, when he was bouncing around between Salas and Mott and who's going to pitch the ninth inning and yada, yada. And I think they've got that guy. I think that there are a handful of arms. I'm sorry, not a handful. I think there are two or three arms in that bullpen that could be a legitimate eighth inning, this guy to this guy to this guy kind of setup in that bullpen. But I think that's so limiting in, in, the one thing that people get so upset with Larusa about is his constant bullpen pitching changes, et cetera, et cetera. But as long as he, I mean, like last night, last night worked out fantastically. I thought he, I thought he made all the right moves. Now that's easy to say in hindsight when the Cardinals win the game, and the bullpen, you know, gives it up what one hit in five innings or four innings or whatever it was. One six, uh, but. Say one again. hit in six innings, if you can believe it. Yeah. So, you know, again, I think a lot of it is perception that one night all the tinkering works and they win the game and it's genius, and the next night all the tinkering goes on and you wind up with a couple of bad matchups and somebody hits a home run and then he's an idiot. Um, now... I'm I'm certainly not choosing to endorse or not endorse Larusa based upon that one way or the other, um, because I I think sometimes there is too much. Last night, I, I again I thought he made the right move. So um, I think that to assign those roles is. while traditional and maybe helps the psyche and and the mental state of the pitchers knowing when they're going to pitch, could that also be a hindrance? You know, I don't know. If if Jason Mott now is only expecting to pitch in the ninth inning and they wind up with a really tough situation and he's the only guy that LaRusa trusts to come in and get get two strikeouts, are he and and Gloverton Wilson or, or whatever the Twitter has named his glove now. <laughs> Is that tandem going to be able to come in and, and be in that mindset in the seventh inning? I mean, hopefully, I mean, I, I would hope that they're all ready to go all the time, but I don't know. You tell well, me. Well, that's, I, I don't think I've ever looked at it from that point of view where instead of assigning roles, everybody saw what happened with Trevor Miller and Ryan Franklin when, things didn't start going well, and then all of a sudden you've got yourself kind of backed into a corner because then what do you do with them? Obviously, if you're not using them, um, you know, you, you got a problem uh, because they're still just taking up space, if you will, uh, you know, looking at you, Miggy Batista. But I think for me, the most important thing is now the dynamic has changed where you got guys like Mott is the veteran of the group almost, and the fact that he had a year that, you know, to me and, and, and to most, it was kind of lost on people because it's Jason Mott, he's got one pitch, that was always the way that he was perceived. Well, he's, he's not the same pitcher anymore, and, and you look at the, the summer he had and the fact that he was coming in all over the place. There was no set time. There was no set situation. And he kind of grew into whatever role you want to call him now, the unspoken closer, the, you know, whatever he is. Putting Salas in yesterday extremely early shocked a lot of people. But I thought it was the right move because you need to have a guy with the right mentality that isn't looking at the score, isn't looking at the, the game situation. He's just a pitcher. That's what you want. You don't necessarily need to spend money on a Heath Bell, in my opinion, and we've had this discussion multiple times, that the Cardinals are positioning themselves 
right, and there was a great piece. The robot over on Viva Alberto's uh, was talking about 2012. And, you know, and nobody wants to talk about 2012, but he was specifically just talking about the bullpen and the fact that the Cardinals have changed the dynamic so much. Now you almost have a filthy bullpen where everybody can bring the heat. And that's not something that the Cardinals, that I can remember, you've always had maybe a guy that can do that, but you've always had a lot of, uh, you know, crafty Tony guys and, and uh Duncan's reclamation projects and and uh, you know a number of other situations and it it's a fantastic element Nick to bring up that when the Cardinals needed them most the you know they picked up carp they <laughs> stared the 102 win Philadelphia Phillies in the face and said yeah we went up three nothing game one and we see how that worked out and <laughs> so. Uh, anything goes. I'm uh, I'm I'm not sure just yet how I feel about uh, the fact that what our guest said about that Jaime Garcia scares the you know what out of their their club. That's great, and I and I love that. I guess if if we're looking for an, another avenue to talk about, which Jaime's going to show up tomorrow, bud? Well, as as far as what Eric had to say about Garcia, I think uh, I think that was, like he said, pretty clearly based on a small sample size. But so far, that's all I have to go on. Right? Well, yeah. So um, he has been successful, and and the the Cardinals have done their best um, to try and set him up for success by pitching him at home trying to put him in a situation where he's comfortable. Um, they've they've also, again, f- uh, fortunately, I think, um, they're in a situation where he's not going to feel the pressure of an elimination game. True. You know, right. Whether, whether that's something that he should or shouldn't feel, um, we could debate forever. But if he loses, the series isn't over. Um, and maybe that does factor into his, his mental state and, and his mindset when he's out there on the mound. Um, you know, certainly I think the defense behind him is better, which I think was part of the culprit of his struggles early on and, and where he lost some focus during some of his starts. And, uh, it's going to be just absolutely critical for Molina and the rest of his teammates too, I think, to keep him calm, keep him on his game plan. And, you know, I don't know. I I haven't paid real close attention. I know that Duncan has stayed with the team. Is he going to go back to St. Louis with him too? You know, I think that's a a flexible dynamic when, when you hear how much he was in Tony's ear, even when he wasn't with the team. I mean, obviously, I think it, it's uplifting to see him with the club, and I'm sure that that is a, a calming presence to see Duncan come out, maybe. I, I don't know. I think it it depends on the pitcher and what you bring up with Garcia. Could, it, could that be another factor? I mean, you almost have a, a pitching coach in Molina that can go out there too. So that that is an interesting dynamic with game three is uh, I think you're right the Cardinals were hoping for a split coming back if, if you know obviously they would prefer to be up 2-0 but a split brings it back 1-1 Garcia can go out there and, and, and really we you know you and I have seen it live at least once where when he gets into a groove you know maybe the Maybe there's a reason why Philly fans should be scared because when he gets rolling, it's one of those where it's just it's a it's a thing of beauty to watch and you know uh, at this point with with the day off today, uh, you would think anyway that at this point in the year there's not going to be anybody that's off limits. So I don't foresee Tony. 
letting Garcia get into a bad spot, but at the same time, I don't see any reason why, since Jaime hasn't pitched for, you know, a, a, a bit, that he's not going to be out there and be very strong. Let me ask you this. Is game three a must-win game for the Cardinals? You know, I was think I was just actually thinking about that, and I was curious uh, if you were going to go that direction. I... I don't think it's a must-win because of the way that this team. I don't. I, I don't know. Uh, I'm. I'm very torn on that. I don't think it is, but at the same time, you almost kind of want to have in the back of your your head that every game that they've been playing, seemingly for the last month, has been a must-win. So. Uh, Sure. Having having Jackson and and the mentality that he has to come back in Game Four, I'm I'm pretty confident whether it's two one cards or two one fills, that Game Four is is not going to be the type of thing that that is going to put some stress on a guy that's pitched for you know just about every team in the the game and you know the one thing I will say that when I was doing when I was looking at research, I was very surprised to see that in all of Jackson's tour of duties, he has never had a start in the postseason. So, no kid. You, you can say the same thing for Garcia, but at the same time, um, well, yeah, Garcia's you know uh, it, got a little bit less service. Yeah, and, and Jackson has pitched some some bullpen, you know. So I don't know, you know, if, if you can. Yeah, he was available in the in the bullpen earlier here in the series. I I guess for me that the honest answer for you is I don't think it's a must win. <laughs> I know how much better I'll feel if, if the cards are up two one going into game four. Sure. And you know, it's strange because the you're right, the way that the Cardinals have played of late, it, it it was odd in that when they went up 3-0 in the in the first inning in game one, I was like, in the bag, <laughs> you know, the way the Cardinals have been. Yeah, this is a no this is a no doubter in the bag really? ball game already done. The crowd was totally out of it, you know, in the and, bag. And Kyle Loesch looked uh, looked like Cy Young out there for the first three innings, so. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. So, but then, and, you know, I think this is maybe just human nature. I want to believe it's just human nature because that makes me feel better about my (laughs) fandom, I guess. Uh Um, But on the flip side, by, like, the end of the second inning yesterday, I was like, oh, man, Cardinals are toast. Goodyear cards, <laughs> and I sh- should have known better. Yeah, the way that the Cardinals came back, time after time, in recent years, <laughs> I should have known better. Yep. Uh, our... <laughs> so, my point being, my point being, gosh, it's hard to ca- it's really really hard to count this team out. Uh, it, it, Ever it, it is, but I. You know, um, some of my favorite, you know, and I got to give all thanks to Nick because there'd be no Twitter for me without you, you know, forcing it on me. But uh, a good friend of the site, uh, Dane Perry, yesterday hit it right on the head where he said he had a few childish instances where he had the remote in his hand and wanted to change the channel yesterday and couldn't make himself do it. And I told him that's, there's nothing childish about it because that's, that's the feeling, it, you know. If this was August, I, the TV would have been off, and I would have found something else to do to, to try to temper my, you know, <laughs> my mood before I go talk to my girls and not have them think I'm going to kill somebody. But <laughs> whatever you want to call them, but you know, I've I've taken on the moniker the the St. Louis Zombies. It's just a team that won't die, and uh, whether you can put a lot of that on the shoulders of some of the moves that Mosellock made, uh, you know, especially the 
Lance Berkman, you know, especially man now with with Holiday being a, uh, you know, almost nothing more than a spectator, it is just unbelievable to see that dugout and nobody's hanging their heads. Nobody is. Uh, it's. I don't know what to expect anymore from this team, and that's a good thing, I think, because if you go into a situation expecting something and, and it doesn't work out the way you want it to. I mean, yeah, I, after after Berkman's homer in, in game one I, and the, the stadium is just silent, but I also in the back of my head said, well, this is, this is Holiday. You need to hit him for more than this. And he started getting in his groove and you're just thinking, well, <laughs> we got a three-run lead and then it was, you know, so it's, Garcia is, in my opinion, the best person to start Game 3 because of the fact that he can just stick it to the other team. That start that we saw, I, I think that was for a lot of people the first time they'd really seen what Garcia can fully do. You know, and obviously at, at our site we've been honking for Jaime for quite a while, but he's a guy that... Uh, he he has the tools and he has the makeup where like you said if if him and Yadi are on the same page you know obviously I'm not I'm not a guarantee type of guy but it's it's going to be awfully hard for the Phils in St. Louis to really rattle Jaime Garcia in my opinion uh yeah i i don't know I don't know about that, and and maybe it's just my paranoia with uh, not necessarily young players, but we we have evidence of that happening, right? We've we've experienced Jaime getting rattled, and not just by things the other team is doing, but by things he's doing of himself. You know, bad pit, bad pitch here and there. Uh, a leadoff walk or, or multiple leadoff walks and just getting out of his rhythm and out of his confidence and it happens at the snap of a finger and so I, I think it's good that he's turned it back around and made some real solid starts at the end of the season I mean for crying out loud <laughs> the Cardinals starting rotation lost two games in the month of September both by Westbrook yep. I mean that's that's silly but that, that's yeah, silly but Silly when, when you when you asked me what you said, I realize it has no bearing now. We're we're in a different no. season. It, it, now. it really does though, Nick, because that's what the, the Cardinals have been playing uh, playoff type baseball the entire month of September. They had to; they didn't have a choice. So I I do see, you know, the the last start that Jaime had, and and certain instances here uh, where he may have shown a, a few cracks, but I think that's where. Larusa, Duncan, Molina, Pujols, the the whole crew is going to basically be telling Jaime there is no pressure. Obviously there is, but what you're going to see is I think they're going to have him pitching at home for one, pitching against a team that he's had some, you know, small sample size, but a lot of success against. And two, most importantly, they're – they're not in a position where they have to win this game. And I think that's what they're going to be telling him. Now, you know, me and you talking, is this a must-win game? Uh, I don't want to see the Cardinals have to win two in a row, especially having to go against Halliday in a game five, even with Carpenter on full rest. But I think if they can keep Garcia slowed down where he's not caught up in the moment, I, I think he's going to have the type of start that we hope he has. And that's, you know, like you had just mentioned here not too long ago, maybe that's just my fandom talking, but I would like to think that they've had enough time over you know the last week and he got to experience Philadelphia where they had the largest crowd ever in that ballpark. So... I think he's going to be able to feed off of the momentum that obviously the Cardinals couldn't be on any more of a high 
after getting down and then coming all the way back and having that bullpen just pitch out of their mind. So <laughs> it, it should be fun, right? Well, yeah, of course it's fun. It's playoff ball, man. Yeah, I'm. I'm I, uh, I I made a, uh, another guest spot on uh, the Pulse Network's Sports Buzz show this morning, and I said the exact same thing uh, this morning. I said, uh, let me see if I can paraphrase or make a direct quote that I don't know exactly what's going to happen, uh, obviously, Um but I do know that by splitting in Philadelphia, the Cardinals have essentially returned home field advantage to themselves. And I'm really, really excited to watch game three. And that was, that you was, can't was <laughs> well, I mean, it seems, uh, it seems simple to say, right? But, uh, I mean, that was the other part of my, that was the other part of my, uh, soundbite is that, I mean, the Cardinals are, they're playing with house money, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) They really are. (laughs) No, nobody, including Cardinal fans expected them to be in this. No, no. Um, well, I'm sorry. Nobody expected them to be in the playoffs. Um, so certainly no one expected them to be tied with the Phillies one-to-one after two games coming back home, essentially now holding home field advantage. So, uh, I mean, that's about as house money as house money gets, isn't it? Well, the, the, the thing that kept coming to my mind today as, you know, when there's an off day in a playoff series, it's... For me, it just you know your mind goes back and you, and you just look at how did the teams come here and over the winter the Phillies made the big moves and it seemed like the Cardinals made the necessary moves. Whether or not that that's true or not, well, obviously you'll you'll find out soon enough in the next hopefully you know three games maybe even two games if you're voting that way for the Cardinals to be able to finish it off at home. And then you get to March before the injury to Wainwright, and and honestly, that might be the very last time you think the Cardinals are, and, and the Phillies are going to be in this spot. And everything that's gone on, regardless, you know, it doesn't matter when you get to the postseason, and, and just like Eric was talking about with, with Holiday going down, it, it really made me think of, this is a long way to get to this answer, but it really made me think of 06. And the fact that the Cardinals did what they had to do, much like this year's team, where they had to put guys in spots and just, you know, you didn't know who was going to step up. You didn't know who was going to be the guy, but you knew it was going to be somebody. And that's the same feeling I get with this year's club is whether it's Terrio or Jay at the bottom of the lineup, you know, picking up the rest of the guys, whether it's, you know, Molina. It, it's any number of those guys. Yeah, and for, for all the garbage that he's taken, oh, how about Ryan Terrio? Wow. You, know, can, can, you know, is there, is there a better example of a, a professional ball player than to have the same thing happen? Well, well, ho, 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 ho. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to go with the, the gritty word. He is not allowing. <laughs> <laughs> he's not allowing himself to get caught up in what's going on around him. Um, I think is the best way to describe it. He's going out and and when he's called upon, he's doing his job. And I think uh, I don't know. He might be the best, well, assuming that Holiday is not healthy and able to go, he might be their best pinch option on the bench right now. If he's not playing in game three, I think he is the guy that you throw out there. Uh, I like Punto as well. He's another guy that really flew under the radar that the Cardinals picked up. Oh, I love Punto. You know, uh, the, the Cardinals just built 
this team the right way looking at all the pieces and, and you know I never did buy into a lot of what they said about the, the clubhouse culture but maybe I should have looked at it more the last couple of years just that this team gelled when it needed to it it, it came together you know, obviously being able to put for call at the top of the lineup and take that pressure off of Jay. It's, like you said, man, it's October baseball. It's uh, it's just nice to be able to sit back and know that your team is in there and getting that first win under their belts, you know, the first playoff win since that disastrous Dodger series is, to me, that, that was huge right there. That You talked about playing with house money. I think there was more pressure on the Cardinals to do that, just get one win, than there was anything else. Well, yeah, great point. Great point, because that was the other thought that crept into my mind um, around the bottom of the second inning yesterday was, geez, when was the last time we won a playoff game again? Yeah, 06. Uh, ouch. And, uh yeah, and how many have the Phillies won since then? <laughs> but uh, thankfully, that's all by the wayside now. And, uh, well, buddy, I'm looking forward to game three, as I've said more than once now. Uh, highlight of the year, by far, is is giving the Cardinals fans, and especially, you know, whatever you want to say about anything to do with the number five situation, to be able to have playoff baseball in St. Louis, to me, there, there's nothing better than that. Uh, yeah, I mean, as of right now, it's all good, right? Everything's, uh, everything is, uh, well, here, this will this will be cute tie-in, right? Everything's coming up, uh, everything's coming up rosy red, just like uh, the Fountain in Keener Plaza in St. Louis right now. Awesome. Well, my man, what do you say we uh, we had a great guest, Eric Seidman from BrotherlyGlove.com, uh, Philly's blog. He's also, you can also find his stuff at Fangraphs. We talked to him a little bit about how Philly fans are feeling. Um, Josh and I have, have done our usual uh, rant and, and raving about uh, what we think is going on with the Cardinals right now. And, and Josh, maybe we could give... Uh, give our loyal listeners a break for once. I think we may be able to keep this one right around an hour. I think that's, uh, that's, a, that's a great way to go. <laughs> Very good, my man. Uh, once again, this is Nick, PitchersHit8.com. Uh, as always, I've been talking with Josh, also from PitchersHit8.com. We are looking forward to Game 3, um, and... Uh, Hopefully you are too. I assume you are too if you're listening to this show because that really shows dedication to the Cardinals to, to listen to the two of us. But, but uh, at any rate, this has uh, been episode 7.0 of the Pitchers Hit 8th podcast. We thank you for listening, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to have an NLCS version of the show very soon. Josh, we'll see you on the flip side, my man. I'll be honking for high tomorrow.